0: I think the the scientist's role in the lab of the future should be they are still the center. They are enabled and empowered by the data workflow automation. I think the scientists should be able to configure the workflow. They are empowered because all the systems they use now produce the data in a way that is open-minded instead of my vendor's data and it is my ecosystem and you have to use my software
1: to process my data. My name is Kashif, and this is BioRadio. A group of biologists turned bioinformaticians bring you into the world of research and development informatics by interviewing the people responsible for implementing systems and technologies to a unique and diverse set of use cases. Several recent technological advances have been made regarding lab automation, yet multiple touch points still persist throughout the drug development process. There are many highly technical skills which can now be fully automated with little or zero human intervention and minimal oversight. However, we're a considerable way from ensuring all data are usable by everyone and that all technologies can be integrated with existing systems. What are the game-changing opportunities in pursuit of transforming the lab, enabling scientists to develop the next generation of drugs and therapeutics with speed and efficiency? Today we're here with Spin Wong.
0: Hi everyone, I'm Spin Wong from Tetra Science, CEO and co-founder. Uh, I have been working in the lab since uh, since I was uh, undergrad in Cornell in the high energy physics lab, and then I went to MIT for my PhD degree. Again, working in the lab day and night. After graduating from MIT, uh, my co-founders and I decided to work on this uh, lab of the future or lab digitization company, and our goal is to introduce more more than technology to the lab and uh, accelerate drug development. We're based in Boston, which happens to also be the biotech hub and pharma- has a lot of pharmaceutical companies. So uh, very excited to be here
1: and share my experience. Uh, could you speak to the problem, either past or sort of present in, in, within biopharma? Uh, what do those labs look like in terms of the interconnectivity of data and instruments and in the lab infrastructure? Yeah. So I felt maybe in the academia time, the the labs were backward,
0: right? Because the lack of funding or cheap labor, the students are, PhD students are cheap labor. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And, uh, but when you actually enter and and when I actually take a tour or talk to my friends or visit uh, scientists in, in actual pharmaceutical and biotech companies, I think the lack of efficiency, the isolation of data silos is even more severe because in a typical industrial, kind of setting when you need to produce data and produce drug, do the testing, uh, measure different kind of quality, the process, analytics. There are so many more instruments, so many more data systems, and so many people involved and so many steps in producing that final outcome. So the problem that a PhD student was facing uh, got exponentially more severe in a pharmaceutical and biotech company simply because the complexity and also the seriousness in terms of delivering a drug
1: compound. You mentioned increasing the efficiency, right? Just the the stakes are quite high in developing a new therapeutic or drug. Uh, What do you think are the other motivations to move towards automation? So automation has several major
0: benefits. First, it saves time and effort. It alleviates the scientists from manual transcription such that they can focus more on analysis of the data, the trending, the statistics. And by doing that, the, incre- uh, the efficiencies are increased, but also the errors are reduced. For example, if I have to write something down on a piece of paper, there's no guarantee that I will not be making a typo. And also, because I'm a human being, I will not actually be writing all the decimal places. I probably won't. I write 5.1 instead of instead instead of uh, 5.15, right? And in scientific setting, and those accuracy and those small deviation may matter. At the same time, I mean not choose to, very often, write down all the context of the experiment. Which right. What time did I do this experiment? Which instrument did I do it on? Is the instrument calibrated? Uh, what, what were the, the settings? Exactly. Right. <laughs> and uh, what method did I follow? So all those contexts were lost, not, not only because the information was not there, but because the manual transcription is such a tedious step. Nobody is willing to record all the information. So the, the fundamental reason that data integrity can be ensured is that human being don't have to try so hard. If you tr- need to try so hard to record everything, make sure there's no typo, it will simply not happen.
1: Right. So you mentioned uh, reproducibility, human error, turnaround time, uh, increased success, kind of from a from an efficiency standpoint. Uh, what about the the benefit of walk away time? Right. So if everything is more automated, a scientist could potentially walk away and and step away, think about the next experiment, think about analyzing the data. Could you could you speak to that and, and the efficiencies drawn from uh, moving towards more automation? Yeah, absolutely. So automation
0: also has an implicit benefit, meaning that you can add more automation without introducing more mental overhead to the scientist. You can automate one workflow, moving data from the instrument to their, for example, their electronic lab notebook, which has all the, all the benefits that we just talked about. But at the same time, you can add once the data is digitized once the one automation is done you can also branch out you can move the data not only to the electronic lab notebook you can move the data to a database a data lake and on top of that you can layer on top analysis tools visualization tools and those are the tools that scientists can look at and and start to think about uh, the trend of my experiment and that trend will be automatically generated without the scientist bother to f- to have the mental overhead to add one extra data point. So automation fundamentally lowers the barrier and also makes thinking and analysis much more appealing because people feel that I can think and analyze my data without worrying about collecting the data. Sure. And one of the major bottlenecks for the scientists to move away or not bother to think too much about a trend about comparing some parameters against the result is because they know in their mind, deep down in their mind, they know they have to spend several hours just to collect the data. And so they fall back to um, the the easier
1: approach, which is to rely on intuition and experience. Right. And not recording the data. Yeah. So um, walk me through a, a biopharma lab. What does the typical environment look like in terms of Uh, You mentioned disconnected instruments, disconnected data, silos. Kind of walk me through what that looks like.
0: Yeah, so a scientist will usually design their experiment on something called electronic lab notebook. And after that, they will use something called lab information management system to track the samples. And then what the scientist is doing is to measure or make some changes, dilute, or do something with the sample using different instruments. It's almost like I have something I'm gonna uh, there are multiple touch points. The number of touch points depends on the complexity of that of the science it is being done uh, depends on the amount of data you want to gather from that. For example, you can weigh a sample, uh, get the right weight. You can, and then you can measure uh, first you may want to dilute that to be uh, in a certain liquid and then in, in that liquid you will measure so many kind of properties. Like, sure. You, via plate reader, analytical instruments, mass spec, you name it. Now you think about it, the data exists in the electronic lab notebook, which has the experimental setup, some of the metadata, like the purpose of that or identifier of the sample. Right. LIMS, or the lab information management system, contains uh, some other logistics information about that. For example, a necessary compound of portion of the sample may come from a different group, because you may not make everything from scratch, the component of the sample. And then you have the data coming from all those instruments. Some, are, some instruments are used to manipulate the sample. Some instruments are used to measure the sample. So that workflow has so many touch points, and each touch points produces valuable information, either the context of the experiment, the reason of the experiment, the key metadata of the experiment, and also the actual data of the experiments. And all those currently exist in more or less a siloed fashion. So the ability to aggregate all those data in an automated way, because if it is not automated, people will simply not do that.
1: Right. So talked about a number of uh, analytical tools, instruments to capture properties of a compound or a sample, uh, whether it's a cell line or or something else. in, in a typical lab, what percentage would you say of, of the information captured are done in an automated fashion versus manually? I think there's a caveat to that. A lot of the instrument that has a computer
0: attached to that to that, or some kind of control software is already capturing the data automatically and turn that into some kind of digital format. Okay. But the problem is that that format is proprietary or specific to that vendor. And also in order to consume that data, The only way you have is to export the data in some kind of Excel spreadsheet, which then requires manual labor, and Excel spreadsheet needs to be moved around and maybe moved to the data system in order for other systems to consume that. So in general, whether the instrument is a balance that don't have any digital output or is a complicated instrument that has some control software, they all have the problem that the data is locked in their specific silo.
1: Right. You mentioned some instruments produce an output, right? Whether whether it's in a proprietary file format or have an API connector, Um, there are also a lot of uh, valuable pieces of information a scientist would collect along the ways. You know, pH, weight, uh, temperature of a room, temperature of the compound. You know, there are just so many different variables that are. Optimally recorded, <laughs> um, but those are typically done manually. There, there's no way to record those in an electronic fashion, or kind of the the standard lab has no way of capturing a lot of the details surrounding an experiment. Could could you speak to that a bit?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, a lot of the those are contexts Those those may not be the final experiment result, but those are information that describes how the sample is dissolved, how the sample is weighed. Right. And those information, and also, what's the what's the environmental condition the sample has been stored at? Sure. And those disparate data sources currently exist in specific instrument. And uh, by collecting that, I think there's not only a argument for advanced analytics, but also if we just Dumb it down to the simplest value proposition. The scientists have so much information, and when they detect something abnormal, they can always go back
1: and take a look. And also, the regulators will find that extremely helpful. Right. No, you touched on a lot of great points. And then, kind of uh, zooming out a bit, right? So, looking at the entire drug discovery process, right? Looking at um, looking at things like target identification and validation, moving into assay development, screening lead compound identification optimization, and then finally preclinical studies. Uh, could you speak to the state of lab automation or, or lack of lab automation uh, across those areas of the drug development process?
0: I certainly noticed that there are a lot of high-support screening facilities that have focused a lot on automation because your workflow is standardized and they're doing the same thing over and over again. Sure. But I think in general, any stage of drug discovery that requires disparate instruments and the flexibility for the scientists to use those instruments usually lacks automation simply because the the level of automation or the complexity of automation in the context of flexible user experience lacks for example you do not want to hard code things you want the scientists have the ability to trigger some kind of automated data capture or automated sample registration from system A, and that information propagate to instrument A. And after the instrument produces the data, you want that data to be automatically captured and sent back. So in those workflows, when data automation and user interaction are intertwined, those are the workflows or stages of drug discovery that we noticed are not have not been automated very easily. Right. Another part of the ecosystem that we felt needs significant improvement is the interaction between the outsourced contract research organizations and the biopharmers. The contract research organizations are usually conducting a huge amount of experiment for different people. And what they are currently providing is mainly service. They have less of a focus on the quality of the data so what we notice is that CROs or
1: CMOs usually have less automation around the data. So I guess in terms of high-throughput screening, that's mostly focused around the assay development. Um, and, and I guess the other areas in terms of target ID require a lot more forethought and, and experimental design, as does the lead optimization um, and preclinical studies. You know, There's just a variety of values and experiments that are conducted during those phases. So, totally understand where you're coming from in terms of the repeatable exercises that are being more automated and, and some of the other areas are, are falling behind. So kind of switching gears, kind of looking at where we are, thinking back you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, perhaps even earlier, how far have we come in terms of an industry, in terms of lab automation? Uh, and, and what do you think have been the biggest challenges or pitfalls to date?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And actually, we felt that change uh, during the, the last five years. So when I first left left MIT and approached the customers or the pharma companies and asking, hey, why don't we collect some data from the lab and automate? Uh, most of the time we got an answer that uh, that's not what I need and I don't want the data to go to the cloud. By the way, we, we use cloud in order to um, innovate and kind of move fast. Uh, and there's a lot of pushback. And so that's why Literally, the only instruments that we were able to connect were the minus 80 and minus 20 degree freezers, freezers because people want to be alerted when something goes wrong, and the data there, it's okay for them to move to the cloud. But then in the last two to three years, we noticed a significant increase in the awareness and the motivation for the data to be collected. Uh, we, there are many companies that have internal, pharma companies that, and biotechs, that have internal uh, data strategies around collecting all the instrument data. And once the data is collected, they want the data to be automatically cleaned up or pushed to downstream applications. And also they want to establish establish some kind of round, round trip or
1: uh, closed circle in terms of the lab automation. How has that changed? And, and what do you think spurred that change within the last two years or three years? I think this is an iterative process. Usually the scientists don't care
0: in the beginning. They're like, I have my traditional way of doing things. I'm able to analyze the data. But then there are certain organizations that started to unlock the data. For example, make the instrument data, uh, aggregate all the instrument data, for example, from hundreds of instruments over the last certain period of time. And on top of that, Certain dashboard and interactive analysis tools can be built, and when the scientists actually start to benefit from that, that's the time that a a positive feedback loop is started. the The informatics ecosystem, the the tooling, the IT department, uh, the informatics team, and the the, the data scientists provide something the scientists find helpful. As a result, the scientists started to care more about the integrity of their metadata, care more about using those insights to drive their next step of the experiment to understand, uh, for example, in chromatography, the column performance to influence their decision. And that creates a a very healthy feedback cycle, which gives the tooling community, the IT department, much more inspiration and motivation to collect more data imagine this one data source can produce such benefit, such beneficial result. Why do not we connect another data source, another data source? And then there's a compounding effect that happens. Once you have the data from the instruments, let's overlay the the data, some metadata from the sample management software, from electronic lab notebook. Once we have some basic visualization, let's go a little bit further into um, some modeling, some machine learning. So that triggered the
1: Uh, the feedback. How have you seen the trend going from something small and perhaps contained into something larger and more grand scale? Yeah, absolutely. So you brought up a very
0: interesting point, quick wins. Sometimes data automation's goal may not be data science or gaining any insights as step one. Sometimes step one is simply to have all the data available and take a look to surface all the inconsistency, surface all the redundancy, surface all the lack of discipline in terms of naming your sample. For example, when we collected data from, uh, for a certain uh, company, we noticed that there are five ways to spell the same project or sample type or uh, method. Sure. People all know they meant the same thing, but they are they are all spelled slightly differently. Sometimes crucial metadata is lacking. So, what this first step will do is to surface all the ambiguity, all the vagueness in the dataset. Let people feel, wow, there's so much low-hanging fruits, and people immediately have the leap of faith, able to imagine if I do clean this up a little bit. I can see, I can compare type A from type B. I can see trend. I can see, I can aggregate my data set. And that creates some motivation for them to be more disciplined.
1: So the motivation is more from a pain of not having data or not having consistent data, rather than having the data and and showing some quick win. As I understand it, there are four main areas of lab automation. There's microfluidics, the idea of lab on a chip. There's the ML AI side of it. There's the liquid. Like liquid handling robots, uh, and then there are the data workflows. We've spoken a lot about the data workflows. Um, could you talk about the other areas, the progression of lab automation to where we are now, and and perhaps to where where this is leading in the future?
0: Yeah, those four areas are are quite interesting. Uh, actually, this is the first time I uh, I hear that kind of summary, which is which is pretty pretty neat. I think you can imagine lab on the chip being the lowest level. Uh, that is involved in terms of uh, producing the the compound or mixing that. You can imagine liquid handler being more uh, macro scale. And then you can imagine machine learning and AI on the top level that is dealing with the abstracted data. And then the, the data workflow, which is the fourth component you mentioned, is actually the glue that moves the data around from the hardware to the more higher-level hardware, and then all the way to the insights. So you can imagine those four components of automation needs to kind of fit in into this vertical stack of of the lab.
1: So one of the things that I've noticed in lab automation is the requirement for greater... Teamwork across disciplines, right? So, for example, you're resolving issue when you're resolving issues with with integrating legacy instruments. Uh, you'll need to talk to various stakeholders, um, perhaps the life science companies, software providers, instrument manufacturers. How do you support this type of uh, of collaboration and, and, and teamwork?
0: That's a great question. I think the The story behind this question is essentially the fragmentation of this ecosystem. You have a lot of instrument manufacturers. You have a lot of vendors analyzing the data, storing the data. It's it's a very fragmented data ecosystem. What I find positive or encouraging in the recent years is that a lot of the vendors start to realize they should focus on their core expertise. Being a scientific instrument manufacturer, their job is to provide the best instruments. instruments. Absolutely. And at the same time, uh, provide the best analysis software, because they are the expert in their instrument, but they may not be the best in terms of uh, the data lake or some the data automation component. Uh, and so what I'm noticing is that a lot more cross-functional and cross-vendor collaboration. And this is the lab ecosystem starting to evolve or will evolve more and more like software. Softwares talk to each other using well-defined application program interface API there are different styles of API information flow across the systems and the user or the consumer ultimately decides where the data should flow that is truly a win-win situation because by making your data more valuable your product becomes more appealing by making your data easily integratable and accessible exactly and scientists will care more about the efficiency in terms of using your instrument. And also the newer generations of the scientists want freedom. They want to explore their data. They want to use the tools that are traditionally outside the lab to look at the data in the lab, which is actually something very encouraging because the lab contains so much meaningful data. uh, And this, this, this combination, we believe, will introduce a lot of
1: amazing results. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great point. So diving into the data workflow side of things, you know, standardizing formats will be important for other aspects of, of lab of the future uh, that support automation. How do we approach this um, as, as, a, as an industry?
0: In terms of data standardization, uh, we should recognize that there are different fundamental types of data. For example, you mentioned some are data streams from a sensor. Some are experimental results that come more like a batch. Some data are more like status and alerts, right? So there should be fundamental uh, categories, roughly kind of rough categories of data sets. And then now let's zoom in into, for example, the batch data, which is uh, the scientific experiment. After you run a plate, you get a, uh, some readings. After you run an injection, you get some cr- chromatograms. The standardization of those data set should really be a, a community and industry initiative. The goal of that initiative should be driving concrete business use case within
1: uh, 6 to 18 months. Just to let our listeners know, we do have a separate topic on data standardization coming in our next release. What is a reasonable extent of lab automation that you foresee perhaps 5, 10 years out from now? Uh, is there a limit? And, and uh, personally, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking a lot about what, what is the role of a scientist in the lab of the future? I think the, the scientist role in the lab of the
0: future should be they are still the center. They are enabled and empowered by the data workflow automation. They are empowered because all the systems they use now produce the data in a way that is open-minded, instead of uh, this is my vendor's data, and it is my ecosystem, and you have to use my software to process my data. I think the scientists should be able to configure the workflow. Again, this comes back to the theme of the scientist being in the center of moving the data and deciding where the data should go. They may want to aggregate data from those two sources, and tomorrow they want to add a third data source. So they should be at the center of this data silo and fragmented ecosystem and decide data
1: should flow from A to B. Right, so making the data accessible, empowering the scientist, and that leads us to one last question regarding addressing the skills gap. Uh, so as you've put it, a scientist needs to possess both technology and science skills. Uh, could you describe that a bit more and how we approach that issue? Yeah, I resonated with this question so much. And uh, this is one of the major bottleneck. Uh,
0: first, I think uh, within an organization, there should be an intentional effort for the IT or the technology folks to be more, to think more like a scientist. They need to make the scientist life easier. It cannot be automate for the sake of automation, standardized for the sake of standardization. The scientist actually will save time. That should be their goal. And they have to understand the scientific workflow even sometimes better than the scientist because they need to understand the data workflow. They don't necessarily have to understand all the detailed science. So for the scientist, they need to think like a data scientist. Essentially, they need to care up about the data that they produced from their experiment. Not only the sample, not only the the purified result. They need to deeply care about the data because the data is what they can aggregate. The data is what will help them to make decisions. And actually, all those reports that people submit to the FDA, to their CRO, are digital kind of data format. Those are the data that is being transferred and also transcend beyond the particular experiment. Within an organization, there should be intentional effort to cultivate those data workflow automation projects for the two sides to appreciate that. And in a lot of organizations, we notice that there are a particular function, either called R&D
1: IT or lab. Research informatics. Exactly, right? <laughs> that is focusing on this. So you you foresee an, an amalgamation between a pure scientist and IT coming together in this form of a research informatics specialist or or something along those lines. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for listening to BioRadio. I'd like to thank Spin for being our guest today, speaking with us about the lab of the future. To join the conversation, visit our blog, biorad.io, and don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts. This podcast is an original creation of BioRad Laboratories. BioRad is a trademark of BioRad Laboratories Incorporated. All trademarks mentioned herein are the property of their respective owner.